Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 25, Mr. Kobe Batty. Uh, I mostly have known Kobe in his association with uh, the Fugs, which are a classic... Um, God, what are they really? I guess they're a little of a revolutionary um, rock band kind of coming out of the Bowery in New York City in the late 60s, and they're still around, still doing stuff, still touring. There have been a lot of members and lineup changes over the decades. They've been associated with Allen Ginsberg, among others. So there's a, I don't know, there's like a beat element, there's a protest element, a political element and a crazy kind of caravan of gypsies element to them. Um, I, so I, I met Kobe. I remember meeting him anyway when uh, I was writing for Punchline, and he was playing music with Paul Watson, and calling it Kobe and Wadi, and I just sat down with him to interview him for a little blurb, really, in the paper. And then I'd run into him here and there after that at Hole in the Wall or something. But... Uh, I, and then I guess recently, you know, we're friends on Facebook, so you kind of see what people are doing, even if you haven't seen them in person in a while. And I've seen pictures of him in Civil War uniforms and then uh, got wind that he's been acting from a friend of mine. And I thought, you know, I haven't had any actors on this show yet. I'd really like to get some actors on this show. And uh, Kobe covers a lot of uh, bases as an actor, as a musician, uh, as a... Richmond icon, I suppose. Somebody a lot of people know, and uh, it's been around a while. We have an interesting conversation. We get into some of the kind of metaphysical and physical mumbo-jumbo I like to talk about, spirituality and science. I always have fun with that stuff. Um, I don't always know what I'm talking about, but I really get a kick out of talking about it with people who like to engage. And... Uh, I won't pretend to be an expert on any of this stuff. I've absorbed a lot of things over the years uh, without a formal education in any of it. And uh, it's all very fascinating to me, but I get shit wrong. Uh, For instance, I think I refer to the speed of light as a cosmological constant. And I looked that up recently, and that ain't right. I don't even. The cosmological constant is a theory that may or may not even actually hold any water. It has nothing to do with the speed of light. Uh, so there you go. I uh, Anybody listening to this and comes across that and says, I'm all fucking don't know what you're talking about. They're right. I don't. Uh, I just uh, heard it somewhere, read it somewhere, misapplied it. So disclaimer on that. Though, uh, talking about that stuff again is very interesting to me. I, I really, there's this great show called On Being, hosted by Krista Tippett and... Uh, on NPR weird hours like 6am and stuff when most people aren't up but there's also a podcast for it and she gets really interesting guests on there like people who really do sort of have a foot in both worlds a lot of times of the the sort of fact and reason based world of science and the intuitive and imaginative and heart based world of faith and people who really find a good comfortable dialogue between the two for themselves and I really enjoy it. There's been uh, some people I can remember like John Kabat-Zinn on there who's a mindfulness uh, practitioner and teacher and uh, shit, Roseanne Cash was on there talking about 
quantum physics and spirituality and Johnny Cash. That was very interesting. You should check that show out sometime. I'd love, this is my, me and Kobe talking is kind of maybe my half-assed attempt to get it, that sort of chat. But, uh, you know, I'm no Chris to tip it. It was fun anyway. And uh, let's get into it. We join the conversation with Kobe commenting on a painting on my wall. I can tell you who that did. Almost, no, I do almost, no. Come on. Nearly know who. Wait a minute. It's coming. It's coming. You were just at the street art festival. Yeah. Oh, it, no. That's that he is represented there. Oh, it's the fellow, the last guy I heard on your show. One of the guys. It's he wasn't the last I call guy. Him now I call him the Milky Way. Yeah. That guy. yeah. That's him. Yeah, that's Chris. He Mil- does religious. Paintings. That's old. I, I I sent him a picture of that. It's not religion. No, well, that's kind of. Well, wait a minute. Who is that? It's oh, that's religion. That's Hindu. It, yeah, he called it. Shiva. Somebody? He called it. Uh, Baba something or other, but there's actually two different characters in there. Them. And but it's a good painting. Yeah, I, I bought it from him like in Pods. the mid 2000s or something. And I, I sent him a picture of it recently, and I said, uh, "Who? I mean, what's this painting called?" And he yeah. says, "I have no idea." <laughs> oh, we'll fucking have to call it. Oh, do you allow <laughs> cussing on your pod? Oh yeah, man. This is uh, totally it's like leaking. I said. It's well, the, I like to say other words besides. F you. You could like go for flanking, it. Uh, glonking, chimping, skunking, bumpling, crimping, timping. Those are good. Toppling. I mean, I'm making, I never. Yeah, you can say, before. see you next Tuesday, even if you want. See you next Tuesday. Or I can say just regular, see you next Tuesday. You know what that is, right? That's how they, they say the, the C word if they don't want to say the C word. <laughs> <laughs> I just recently learned that. Well, you know, this conversation. It's an acronym. Oh. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, you didn't, please. There'll please. be plenty of that. Go plenty ahead. Of junk. Okay. Lots of interrupting. This conversation could begin with, what the heck have you been doing all these many years since I last saw you? When did my you last see My main memories is remembering you angry. I, thought, I told myself I wouldn't bring this up. No, I why? Right I'm not, I don't have you any boundaries. You were so young, and weren't we all sometimes yeah. so angry when so young? Uh-huh. It was at the same party way, way, way back, and it could have been in Oregon Hill or like maybe Linden Street area, which is now all torn down. But you were angry, and it was the same party, I think, where the the wonderful Mike, who hanged himself on uh, Belle Isle. Remember dear Mike? I forgot his last name no. all of a sudden. Hanged himself on Belle Isle. One of the first casualties of your group, and I, I put you in the Jim Thompson era. Are you, are I'm you, a little you younger. 40, slightly younger than Jim. A little bit younger than Jim. Yeah. yeah he's and, one of the older ones, actually. Right. Him and Chris Bobes were about the same age. I, I looked up to those guys okay, when I was but a, you're in the same generation, basically. Yeah. If, I would, if we keep it within five I'm years. 43. Oh, well, then you are a good deal. Yeah. Am I? No wonder. What the hell are they? Well, they're, they're getting up towards 50, some of those guys, aren't they? I th- oh, no, no, no. Because Jim is almost 10 younger than me, and I'll be 58. I think those guys were at VCU when I, w- when I started. But okay, so they're like, like four they're, to five years Yeah, ahead. they're like the seniors. Yes, they're four to five ahead of you. Right? Yeah. But this Mike guy, I don't know who you're talking about, or at least Mike, I can't. Mike, I can't think of his name for a second. Um, he was a really interesting character, and he had some, they call it mental troubles, you know, uh-huh. bipolar, right. something. They called him Cinderblock, and at this particular party, they were going, Cinderblock! This is, you know, no one cares about these old Wait, histories was I except for me. I may have it confused. You may not okay. have been at this party. 
But we need to talk about me and my anger because that's why we're here. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, this is free therapy for me. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm not I'm not a licensed <laughs> therapist, but but I've just I've had, listening. I've is had is very helpful. <laughs> I've had a lot of experience. I've had my own troubles. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't really get so angry when I turned 13 when they first sent me to a shrink. I wasn't angry. I was just uh, you know if you sometimes now people are gonna really think I'm full of it. But when a shaman realizes, if he's realizing late that he's a shaman, he the shamanism gene or ability comes mm-hmm. to him right around puberty. That's when I suddenly felt like, oh, my God, this world is not mm-hmm. right. Where is my spiritual canoe? Mm-hmm. How am I going to get through this? I'm an artist. I'm a person who thinks and feels. How am I going to get through this in this Tuckahoe Junior High world? They sent me to a shrink, and I rejected his his uh, saying, saying, you must be medicated, young boy. And it was oh, really yeah. weird. And I said, no, I will not. You will not medicate devil me. out of that child. I won't. I'm 13. I will right. not medicate. And so I said, you get me another doctor. And I did. And he, he and I played ping pong, and we got, got along very well, and I got through it. But maybe, you know, you might be like a really smart and oftentimes intelligent people. Shamanism comes at 13. Right. Or, or at puberty, basically, is when you suddenly... Oh, I have always had the theory about shamanism that it's very similar to being... It, I mean, in a, it's the person, who, the artists, the musicians, people like that, that they live sort of on the fringes of the yeah. society. Yeah. And the people who... There are people whose job it is to kind of keep shit going, and they mm-hmm. do the, the basics. Mm-hmm. Shaman people are no good for that, but right. they're good for the next idea. Right, like, exactly. We're exactly. going along here. Yeah. Where we hit an impasse... Go to the go to the guy, the seer, the guy who, right? Yes, exactly. I don't, so, yeah, I, I'm, don't be shy about talking like that either, man. It's called tantric conversation. You know, I'm not, so. I didn't go to shaman school. I didn't go out and talk to the you know the yaki or the mm-hmm. Navajo. I didn't go out and yaki, do any of that. Is that the Carlos Castaneda? Yeah, uh-huh. I didn't go and talk to any shamans or do anything. But I read, mm-hmm. like a strong dog. I read and read and read, and then I did my own work on it. So I'm not a shaman per se, but I do have I, I've got some some sort of abilities and recognized by not more than one people and so person so well what anyway I mean, so your anger okay yeah let's hear about that <laughs> you were mostly mad at um at a, at a there's a guy who i would say was a bit of a rogue mm-hmm. wouldn't call him a cad necessarily but a rogue fellow mm-hmm. and he was uh you know this maybe you don't want to hear this stuff no go this, please it has to do with your family dude i am not in the least bit shy about this kind of stuff okay because I, mean, I, I, I thought so because i've seen some of your facebook posts and i thought wow this guy's really working through he's working yeah and that's great he's working something out that's what it's all about man. i'm i'm willing to be vulnerable dude i put Beautiful. it all out there i got no shame unless it's going to implicate someone well my family it won't depends. i okay, think you were just ahead. protecting as a good brother Will, uh-huh. protecting your sister who was at the party okay the gorgeous beautiful lucy mm-hmm. and you know great, like fantastic that. girl mm-hmm. you know of insight and and talent and power and and even uh the ability to deal with the difficult people i think she has to deal with difficult celebrity types and, right. and how it drags her down i see right. these things you know yeah. in this new world where all this communication is possible i see all this so at that point, you were very young, and this caddish type of guy, or rogue, we'll call him a rogue, mm-hmm. he, 
was trying to, I guess, talk to her or something. Uh-huh. And, and he didn't, you didn't like his, the cut of his thing. And <laughs> you came over and you went and leave my sister. I'm up. so glad that you're saying this. We had this for posterity. There's a witness because she claims I didn't ever protect her like that. Because oh. I always thought she could take care of herself. She was the one jumping on the back of motorcycles when yeah. I was, oh, yeah. Oh, my, oh, when I was yeah. still reading comic books and listening to hair metal, she was running off with the Oregon Hill punk rock boys. And I was like, Lucy's fine. Like, that's interesting. To me, you got to worry about. <laughs> well, you're a big guy, and you and you were young and and tough, and and if there was alcohol, that always brings out right liquid. A courage. lot of things. I wasn't that tough, but I could be you a loud seemed mouth. To be. Yes, yeah. and and so, and then later we saw you in your musical um, um, manifestation. Are we talking about the devil tones? Yeah, yeah and, and how you described you, his music. You were uh, you were channeling some of that some of the power that you had yeah. inside you. In whatever yeah. way it came out, so that was cool to see that. Mm-hmm. I really like seeing you there, in the, uh, especially at the uh, hole in the wall. You, you were hitting that one. Well, they right say there. it takes one to know one. So uh, you know, mm-hmm. you recognize anger in others. You have your own. Uh, did you? Was that a, a thing that you've had to channel? No, not mm-hmm. so much. Um, um, you know, well, see. I guess it has to do. We're also talking about alcohol here a little bit. Uh, yeah, if you were mostly. if you were drinking then. <laughs> As a very young man, you could have been 17, you know, or something at this point, 18, 19, 17. You know, I, I remember meeting you when I was writing for Punchline and I was writing a blurb about you, like Kobe and Wadi or something. Oh. I don't even remember. Oh, this was way earlier than Yeah. I'm pretty sure way earlier than that. It was at a party. It might have been in the fan or could have been over on Franklin. Mm-hmm. But I keep thinking I feel it along Cherry Street that area but in any case i just witnessed that mm-hmm. and i was like wow that's interesting and i don't think it was necessarily anger i think it was um you know this guy you thought you just didn't want him around her it was one particular one and you just didn't want him there and you you know you made it be known that's yeah. pretty i mean i I, tr- I think i attempted that kind of bluster here and there when drunk but that really wasn't you know my anger is a lot more barky worse than bitey kind of stuff right, but i figured that got a bad, i do have a bad temper still working on that well we all grow up with these things we mm-hmm. all get these things you know mm-hmm. and they come out mm-hmm. and we never know i mean i'm an example of it could be you know your nature through your genes i don't know what what you know what your upbringing was although i do i do um admire you you um churchillians mm-hmm. that's a cool thing being a city kid in churchill yeah and you were there in the tougher time early. I think mm-hmm. I saw that recently about the 70s when you were there. Yeah, I was. Uh-huh. uh-huh. That's my, cool, man. I mean, that, right. not every Richmond person gets that. My parents were there in 69 or 68, and I was born, you know, I was born at St. Mary's, but we were living there from day one. Yeah, early pioneers. It's interesting. People, uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different angles you can come at that. I mean, I always look at it like I had to, you know, there's there's a lot of shit going on in this town before I was born and I got dumped into it, you know, and, and I had to, you know, somewhat pay the price, but I didn't know any better. So, you know, I didn't know it was any different anywhere else. Yeah, so you're not a suburban boy, right? I'm not. So I didn't find out till later that people didn't have their bikes stolen and house broken right. into and get right. bullied and beat up like yeah. whatever. Well, but, this, um, this really works to your advantage though. I think, you know, yeah. you weren't, you know, a coddled, molly coddled, Milk toast boy from you know I mean I grew up well I don't want to talk about me but you did say no we are here to talk about you I thought we were here to talk about you no we're here <laughs> it, it can be confusing sometimes <laughs> since I'm a narcissist but 
Um, what is a narcissist, actually? I, I would say it really has to be a psychopathic level to really earn the title really, where you yeah. really aren't aware. Yeah. But like I, narcissist in the, in the pool. And it was her downfall or his. Right. You know, narcissist. Yeah, that that's, he that's fell in love with his own reflection. Right. right. And for you, and, it's not necessarily your, your visage. It's your it's your own brain that you're interested in. I or? would say there's an extreme of self-interest and and, you know, whatever, but still not to the point of psych, you know, being a psychopath right. or whatever. Or but no, we are we're we're here to have a conversation. So whatever right. we want to talk about. But we definitely I want to you mentioned that you Tuckahoe junior high. Yeah. So that's where you there. started out. Yeah. In That's where I started. You grew up in the West End. Well, I always knew our children are are completely magical and and tuned into all the planes of existence mm-hmm. and see them all they can. You know, if they, you know, and so I always, you know, it's then when you you hit manhood, all children have the magical mm-hmm. completely with them, unless it's been beat out of them very early, mm-hmm. which is beyond tragedy. Yeah. But they all have it. But it's when you hit puberty, when you become start to become a full adult human. Sure, being. that's when it around gets tough. thirteen, like you were talking you, yeah, about. Yeah, well, I hit it a little earlier than that, but then it, it hit my brain really strong in thir- about thirteen, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh. So no. you were an average West End kid. No, mm-hmm. nah, no, I was never because I'm a, a strange story, and I'm starting to learn my own story now. Um, my story is, I'm adopted, and I was adopted at ten days old. So, um, and I was adopted into, I'm the most fortunate boy in town or in the world, really. Mm-hmm. I was adopted into this theater, musical, sports family. My dad was a chairman of the music school at RPI, then VCU. Oh. And my mom was also a conductor, musician, and teacher, and a vocal teacher, and choral conductor. And they did opera and theater, musical theater. Wow. And all sorts of oratorio and oratorii and... <laughs> And uh, they just, you know, they're, so I have just like was thrust into this fantastic theater and musical and sports world in mm-hmm. Richmond. Because my granddad, my, my adopted granddad, was caught for the Cubs in the early 1900s. Wow. So I picked up on that. And luckily, it was just it was a, a fortuitous adoption where I had enough Irish in me or something to have some talent. Mm-hmm. And so I just was <laughs> like, you know, they have, they're musical people sure. generally with their words or something. Yeah. Their love, the whatever it is, uh-huh. the great, yes, the funny ones. But so I have that in me, I know. And I had a little bit of information. I went on for all these years and just now I've started to find out who or where I came from. Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter to me because I was the luckiest guy in the world. I never really wanted to know so much. And it was interesting sort of inventing myself, using them as a template as mm-hmm. well. But I knew I wasn't looking at my flesh and blood when I looked at them, though I love them like mm-hmm. unbelievably. And they're still together 70 years. They just had their anniversary. I feel like I'm talking a million miles a minute. But no, go. I'm speeding because I haven't had anything but a little bit of granola this morning. Oh, yeah. I'm starving, but it feels good. You know how it is. Yeah, yeah. Plus I like, I to, like get, to be like that, too. Empty, empty stomach empty, and a lot of caffeine. Yeah. Like. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Water. Keep the water Poor going. Poor man's always. high. Yeah, it's a good high. Mm-hmm. I did that in... New York in the East Village or in the Bowery I lived it was my main spot and uh, I, st- I did the whole experimentation of you know I guess I was uh, smoking a little bit of marijuana but um, I didn't drink I only drank water and I stayed up for five days you know you get high yeah you really get high I found out and actually you can kill yourself doing that I've heard that the greatest uh, hallucinogenic is uh Sleep deprivation. It was amazing. <laughs> and I was with yeah. a cool Canadian artist, and she was a photographer, and we hung out a whole bunch. She was a really nice person. She was just visiting. We had a little storefront with a lot of musicians. 
there, and I had a, the back bedroom, and our we had two storefronts side by side connected, and um, now those are very. It's like no, what do they call it? No Lido. It's a very fancy. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. But we had men die in the hall. Uh, there were the Volunteers of America were just across the street on Elizabeth and and Houston, which is a half a block from Bowery. Mm-hmm. William Burroughs. I never knew he was there the whole time. But I knew something was weird in my backyard because his bunker was right on the Bowery. Oh yeah. So he, you know, his head. When I was asleep and he was asleep, my, our heads were less than fifty feet away. Wow. Weird. Never met that one. That, uh, what was I getting at? I was just getting at uh, something. Oh, sleep deprivation. Well, yeah. it ended all up. It was a fantastic trip, and I made drawings and did all sorts of things and recorded and did great things and learned a lot. And I ended up on the Brooklyn Bridge. Take a breath. There is a they. It's. Uh, I thought it was so civilized. Um, in the middle of the Brooklyn Bridge, you can walk over the. Uh, the roadways, you know, you've got the walkway, but on yeah. each side of the roadways, well, there are these beams, I-beams, uh-huh. that just run right over, and they have railings, mm-hmm. and you can just go right to the edge and just jump off if you wanted to. <laughs> and I went out to the edge, and the, the lady was taking pictures of me all along, and I'm out there just happy as can be, not killing myself. After this, right? <laughs> at four, After this at five days, days of no oh, sleep. five days, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So those are one of the things I did once. What was civilized about that, that you're allowed to jump off of there if you want? That, that way you don't have to hurt anybody, and you're right. trying to kill yourself. You're not going to fall on the roadway. It would right, be hard right. to fall on the roadway. You could get far enough out. You can get all the way out to the edge and go. Yeah, yeah. And that brings up my, my favorite person in the world who's just left us three years ago now, Thule Kupferberg from the Fugs, who actually, in Allen Ginsberg's poem, Howl, mm-hmm. is the one who jumped off, and Allen says, to make it, kind of romantic and mm-hmm. Whitman-esque and all. He says he jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge. He's saying, I've seen the best minds of my generation. Right. And this guy and this guy and this guy right. and Speed Freak in the morning, Angel hip to Hipsters and all that junk. Well, this one jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, but it was really the, the um, Williamsburg Bridge. Bridge. Mm-hmm. Tooley jumped. Easy to confuse. And then he said, and then he disappeared into the Negro night or he disappeared into the Chinatown night. Mm-hmm. He came ashore. No one knew that he jumped. He, may, he romanticized it a little bit, and I guess Alan would do that occasionally. Apparently, in this case, he did. He's a poet. He's a poet. <laughs> so he, uh, did he survive jumping off of there? Or totally. No? Oh, Broke wow. his feet. Broke wow. his feet. And a, and a, um, now, this part, I forget what he told me, whether it was, a, I feel like he said a rowboat came up right away. Hey, you got in. You made him. <laughs> or he actually made his way to the edge and yeah. walked his way into the Chinatown night. But he survived. And then he wrote in Allen Ginsberg's um, Annotated How, wrote, I mean, he's one of my favorite writers, and we're, a lot of it is hidden because he didn't want fame, didn't give uh-huh. a fuck a fug about fame. Right. And, uh, but he wrote in the Annotated How. Lo- he, he did this because he thought he was incapable of loving anymore. He was uh-huh. like, say, 18 years old or something. He lost his girl. He thought, and I'll never, I can't love. Uh, who wants to fucking live if you can't love? Right. Give it up. And so he gave it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, he jumped, and he, but he didn't make it. That's interesting because that, that, we were just talking about narcissism, and, and yeah. this is a guy who uh, became so – I mean, they say suicide is the ultimate act of self-absorption. It would be. You know? Because I've and thought of through it many, many times. There he is standing over a body of water, you know, concerned with his own reflection <laughs> and falling <laughs> in yes, there. Possibly. But to his great – again, I mean, he's one of the greatest human beings that I've ever known. And to his great credit, it was because he himself felt that he could not love. Now, 
He felt. Give me that guy's name again, of course. Tuli Kupferberg. T-U-L-I. And this is a guy that was also in the Fugs? He is the Fug. Uh huh. He was 40 when the Fugs. That's a huge list of people that have been in that band. I was just looking at it before you got here. Ed said, the the titular leader uh, said, not titular, but the um, de facto leader said, if we got the Fugs really together, um, it'd look like a football team. There's 40-something. And some awesome people. Started in 63? Four, really. When the Beatles, they were in the Dom, I think, or in one of those places. I think Ed just wrote a book about it called Fug You, um, Mm -hmm. and it's out now, about all about his take on what the Fugs were and what they Mm -hmm. did. And it's an amazing story, I have to say. But um, 64, they were in the, uh, this is one of the stories he tells about, they were in the club and all the girls, cute sort of really beat chicks at that mm-hmm. point were mm-hmm. swinging their hips to the Beatles, the Beatles, love, love, mm-hmm. me do, 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 yeah. do, twist and shout, right. you know, all that, those early ones. All that upbeat. Uh-huh. And, the, and they looked at these three poets, or two, it was actually just Thule and Ed at that point, looking, and they were looking at, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. Ed, that's why Thule would say, whoa, whoa, baby. <laughs> Look at that, Ed. <laughs> Those, oh my God. And they just realized, the Beatles, oh my fragging glob, we have got to, <laughs> we got to be musicians. That is why the Grove Music Dictionary says that they are the first punk musicians, because mm. they weren't musicians, they were poets. Right. They said, we will play music, because we got to get chicks. And yeah. really, isn't all art and the whole world about love, and about getting in there, and having it, and doing it? Love, and, lust, yep. Well, must, yeah, you're going to feel, yes, all right, it starts with the, the, the primal, the Milky Way, you know. Isn't that the great strand, the great spum that's, that's We can see the across? edge of our galaxy across. Yeah, yeah. we see it, uh-huh. yeah, we're seen on a cross cut. Right. But isn't that possibly a giant big spum that somebody spent? I, I suppose you could see it that way, yeah. I, I mean, don't know. Is that the ugliest thing anyone ever said? But I just no. love the idea of the Milky Way, and we right. are here, Milky Wayans, and yeah. uh, here we are. Well, the interesting thing to me about looking out into space and talking about it and all that stuff is that there's a poetic way that we've looked at, at all of that stuff mm-hmm. since the very, very beginning. And there's, you know, there are beings that you can see in the sky and and stars, you know, constellations. Constellations only exist if you're looking at them two-dimensionally. They don't really, these stars are very far from each other. They're not on the same plane, right. all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But, but you, but... You know, when you, it's fun to talk about it poetically, but yet to talk about it scientifically, I think, is equally poetic. You know, when you think of the fact that we're made out of all, you know, carbon that's been baked up in the sun and, yeah, beautiful, kicked out and cooled down. And I mean, I I don't have a problem with talking in, um, waxing, you know, rhapsodic about that kind of stuff. I I generally, I'm really actually kind of glad that you came on here today because a lot of my conversations recently have been very, pop culture uh history mm-hmm. kind of well, I'm and edging uh, into that yeah oh well, no that's cool but that we haven't we haven't edged anywhere else oh, okay. and and i'm really into talking about that and what you were talking about about you know i was just talking to a guy i work with today about all men and joseph campbell says this we have to go through a rite of passage otherwise we're going to be too wild our whole lives and that you know women don't need that because women are what it's about they are the, uh, they the are. womb. They're the they birth. They're, you know, yes. life comes through them. But man, once they've made their contribution to that, they have to be given a job and they have to have a purpose. And there's a period when your wildness kind of hits a, you know, really starts to kick in that the other men got to take you and say, okay, we're going to cut you like this and we're going to beat you like that. And we're going to, and it's not, I mean, to some degree, it's, um, 
we we tend to look at it as dehumanizing, but it's also ego uh, shaping. Mm -hmm. Because I think in in general, we're all going to be narcissistic. We're all going to be out of control about our urges, our drives, our sexual needs, our demands from this world and the other men have to kind of come and say hey you gotta you gotta even that out a little bit and make it to the service of the tribe that you belong to and that's the you know know. the the lost tribalism we don't have it's we're finding that in new ways and you might have some great clutch of friends that can help you Mm -hmm. and pull you down and get you back on the ground where you belong right and to hang on to your lust so you don't go raping. And, you mm-hmm. know, what did I just see the statistic uh, in the in Asia somewhere? In India. Asia? It's out of control. One, yeah. point, one out of four people have raped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have committed that. Come on, you know. Yeah. And I'm no greater than any of them. I mean, you know, uh, I, it's, but someone helped bring me back, like you say. the tri- Somebody brought me. We have or man. to be civilized to some Women, you, Sometimes degree. you have to. Yeah. You, you do. Yeah, I mean, because I think I don't know if you know, but I've written song. I'm famous in the gutter. I went mm-hmm. long time. It took me a long time to to dewild. Yeah, I would. I would did not want to give up. Yeah. I kept going, and drinking kept me going. You know, sure. I used it for that a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, but I finally, you know, well, still I've got the streak. You got to keep the streak, mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, you got to order that wildness somewhere within you keep it in a in a path inside you so you can use it because it's a part of your impulse to, yeah to create exactly so it's part of the divine and it is. you know if you like the herman hesse take on like the siddhartha story mm-hmm. and like i think he's taking him through the indian phases of a man's life you mm-hmm. know where you've got the kama which is your really carnal and lustful part and like later you get into your more ascetic mm-hmm. period and i forget what the rest of them are it's been too long since but i read it but yeah. yeah i i think i mean i can you know i'm I'm really interested in that idea that you're not losing something as you become more aware of what your role is and you're not just lashing out kind of blindly yes. you know following your dick and following your adrenaline and all of this other stuff and right. and, and and um What's the word I'm looking for? Trying to dominate everything and, and, and yes. impose upon yes. everyone else. Yes. You start to realize the balance. And then when you realize that balance, you realize you're way, there's way more power in that than there ever was in yes. pushing other people around. Absolutely. And, That's you know. the one I've come to recently. Um, love makes peace. Yeah. True love. Love makes peace. Peace makes power. Mm-hmm. Strange. No one would ever wants to hear that. Peace makes power. I'm glad we got windscreens. Peace makes power. <laughs> peace peace yeah. makes power. Doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound right, but it's true. If a man is enraged and he's out of control, he cannot direct the energy that is coming out of him. But he is, if he is at peace, then he can use that willfully and mindfully. And then there's there's greater impo- greater potency to that. Impotent rage is impotent rage for a reason. Absolutely. You know? Wow, <laughs> you, you are really... Yeah, we're back. You're really, you're really good. You've, you've done a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, a you lot know, work. it's interesting. The door that I went through is uh, sobriety. I mean, I went. Oh, you did. I went, yeah, I went through the. Uh, I did too. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, That's I know why that. I'm able to order myself as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you actually do any of the uh, secret societies? Like no, the, uh, no, I did when I the first time I was arrested. Let's just tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I had you were you had to go to AA, mm-hmm. um, and um. And so I did that, and I, it was interesting, but it, I saw that it wasn't quite the way I needed to go. And though, so then I needed to get arrested again, mm-hmm. which I did, and I spent 30 days in jail for it. Mm-hmm. And I can talk about how careful I was to drive drunkenly 
mm-hmm. and how I started as a, a 15 and a half year old we could get our learn we could get our licenses mm-hmm. and I was a designated drinking driver in the mm-hmm. West End <laughs> with my group of boys yeah. from Freeman right Kobe will drive and I learned how to do it and I learned how to do it on under all sorts of substances mm-hmm. including 32 you know tons of beer yeah so I learned how to be a big taker of substances of all kinds you know but drive yeah but it finally caught up with me because the guy said at the asap thing you get 1,000 chances once you're done with that you're going to get popped Mm -hmm. i wanted to get popped i didn't i don't know whatever but i enjoyed jail i read um cormac mccarthy's trilogy in jail and loved it and i actually didn't even have to i only spent four nights in the in the probably the worst jail in the country they say the 17th street jail downtown Mm -hmm. i got out on work release because of dear friends and uh, so I only had to just stay in jail at the Ninth Street lockup. Much easier. I mean, that's 17th. That was a type of hell. That really was a hell. Mostly because of uh, the noise. It never gave up. There was somebody talking or screaming or yelling mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. all times. It was overcrowded. Most of, uh, I spent four nights there, three nights on, a, on the floor, on a mat. Is this the jail that used to be? It's still like, there. Oh, is it? This me- like Mecklenburg. Area. This is the one downtown in the bottom, Shaco Valley. Is that still 17th there? 17th Street Jail. They're, they're, I think they're trying to build the new one, but I don't think they've done it yet. Because I was reading uh, last... It's, people spring. die there all the time. All the time. It's bad. There man. used to be a, uh, a bridge that went over um, that over the valley from Marshall Street. I don't know if you remember this, the Marshall Street Viaduct. Viaduct yeah. yeah. I never saw that. It was torn down the year I was born. But people used to drop shit from that to oh, people yeah, in the oh, jail. They really? had to have nets oh. over top of the jail. Yeah, that would be it. That's <laughs> the one then, yeah. I barely remember that thing, um, but I, I have a vague memory of that. But you, sp- you that. But part of your spiritual awakening involved uh, jail? and No, but it was just a good... Uh, no, it was, no, my awakened long, long ago. Mm-hmm. I awakened and when I opened my eyes as a baby, and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, then I did a lot of things to to uh, subsume that, which mm-hmm. I shouldn't have, but I did. I've always been that way. I've always been awake. But that no, it, it just it just firmed up some things. I learned some stuff, and um, you know, and it was good. And then I knew, and I'd already quit before I went in. I knew it was all going to happen, and I. I went to Helen's and Mama Zoo's Christmas parties. Those mm-hmm. were my last nights to drink for the rest of my life. Wow. And I knew When it. was this? It was about 13 years ago oh, or so, right. 12 to 13. I don't have the dates, which proves I'm not a real alcoholic probably. <laughs> well, maybe, you're not into maybe, that maybe. marking time. No, thing. I don't need to. I just know it was around the turn of the century is where I stopped. Mm-hmm. And I went and, and um, luckily I had no real trouble with it. And, I've, and I knew all along, you know, I'm... All along, in my other good voice in my head going, man, you're, you're really fucking up. Maybe you think you're fooling some people that you're doing music and you're doing things, but you're not. You know mm-hmm. you're not at full capacity. Yeah. You know, I knew it. I mean, I was able to still have bands and do things, but, you know. And some of it was brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, um, you know, my, my heroes that got me into this partially or, or used it. Yeah, they were heroes. Rambo right. and Baudelaire. This, you know, the derangement of the senses, totally into it. I mm-hmm. wanted to know. Wanted to know. So I know. Anyway, so no, it was just, but Jay was just good because it was a good way to stop and realize that I never, ever want to go. It's not mm-hmm. my world. Yeah. I'm a good person, basically, I guess, and I don't want to ever get in, I don't want to ever be a bad guy that could have killed somebody. Yeah. Maybe, you know, really, really could have. 
So that all of this time that you haven't drank, you haven't used anything. Uh, there hasn't been any program or anything. No, never. Even, yeah. Just didn't want it. Uh, you know, I'm just an individualist, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess, and which I think is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Individualism is always good, pretty much. So yeah, no, I just didn't didn't feel like I needed, and I didn't. It was just I was lucky as heck. Is really what it is. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have the urge. I, you know, I'd consume so much. I, you don't know, maybe you don't know, but I was really. I would spend weeks on the street walking around and, you know, breaking into people's, not breaking in, I knew they were, Steve Herndon, uh-huh. our lovely Steve. Yeah. Miss forever, but I know he's always there. Left his door open constantly for me and I, when I'd be drinking it, you know, and walking the hill at night and, you know, and I would go in and get my, you know, my four and five o'clock beers mm-hmm. and drink and drink and drink and drink. For weeks on end, I'd do this, you know, and it was great learning. I learned a mm-hmm. lot. Learned a lot. So I went down to the river with guys, with old chief who was the old uh, Lakota, I mean Dakota Sioux, uh-huh. and um, you know, and he knew me. I was down there with those people, and that's a rough life. And, yeah, you know, you know, they would give me their knives. They trusted me, and they would give me their knives to show that they trusted me, that I didn't want anything or wouldn't hurt them. It was really interesting. Where there, where was this? Under the bridge and where they used to live, down under Lee Bridge. Oh, yeah. Different um, bum camps they had. I never went out to those island camps they have down further at 14th, but I learned a lot by going down and going into those people's you know places and, mm-hmm. and got, getting to know them. It was really a great education. And it all comes out in art, too, you know, in my mm-hmm. acting or in my music. I use it. So Acting, um, you know, one of the reasons that I... Uh, thought of you to bring you on here is because I was I hadn't had an actor on here mm-hmm. yet, mm-hmm. and Jane I asked Jane Sikowski mm-hmm. I was like who who do I know that's an actor and or an actress oh, or you know did. and she said well Kobe's working on something right now James Franco which is I guess the As I Lay Dying we did that in Faulkner last year yeah and and then I was like well that's a great I mean that's a great you're a great subject anyway even if you didn't happen I'd forgotten. So it was great that she brought that up. I've seen you in Civil War gear and all yeah, that. Yeah, that's just uh, mostly uh, a local company, Lionheart Films, mm-hmm. um, and they do a lot of documentaries. And actually, we get we almost won an award uh, for through some you know movie magazine thing or whatever. This guy's doing better and better and better all the time, and he's you know he went to VMI. He's a good filmmaker, self-taught, I think, really, um, mm-hmm. but he's good. And he's got. He's just kept building his thing. So I've been doing narration for his documentaries for the past six or so of them, maybe. And they're all actually he goes through all the eras. You know, we mm-hmm. do. We've done. We've done a lot of things with him. We did a museum film for Boston. That was really interesting, actually. Um, I got to play Captain John Parker, who was the guy up in Massachusetts that you know who said. And they actually know he said these words, and he said he liked this. He goes, "If they mean to have a war." Let it begin here. <laughs> so dramatic. But there's a little museum movie at a museum in Boston that's just opened up. Is this up. American Revolution? Yeah. Stuff? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, the ones when the, the shot her around the world. Mm-hmm. First it was a skirmish, and, they, and I said, retreat, retreat, get the fuck, you know, mm-hmm. they got too many of them, the red coats. Mm-hmm. And, and then later they came back and ambushed, and this is all Lexington and Concord and all that stuff. Paul Revere, the whole, mm-hmm. Bureau, mm-hmm. The whole deal. But also, interestingly, they did a, um, so I'm the star of the, the I'm the Captain Parker guy who died like he went to work for Washington and died like a nine, eight, seven minutes later from tuberculosis or something. Oh. 
So he didn't last too long. But he did start the deal. He helped start the deal. But then they made a, um, they brought a sculptor from Savannah, Florida, Savannah, Georgia. And I hope her name comes in here. Um, Susie Chisholm. Mm-hmm. Um, did she's an excellent sculptor. She did a Johnny Mercer statue that's down in Savannah. Johnny Mercer, the, the songwriter, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's really good. And she they calipered me. They took off my clothes because I kept my underwear on. And they calipered me all up and down and took pictures of me and my clothes. Oh, or, it's a bronze. I'm a uh, bronze now. Wow. It's Captain John Parker <laughs> with a musket and the tricorn hat and the whole bit there in the in the That's studio. awesome. It's really fun. Neat to do, you know. So How was that? Um, so this guy, Lionheart, uh, he's doing yeah that's what I'm doing a lot and, and that's just fun as heck and I enjoy it and I've learned a lot of history and you know it's just fun it's kind of an amazing I mean we know Richmond for yeah. instance has a lot of history it's, it's one of the first it's places huge. that honkies started living boy know. did boy <laughs> did we yeah. massacring first you know down in the right over the run the, the Indians Lippier off Hill. and then bring in the lip of your Churchill down mm-hmm. there horrible massacre in there is that oh, the bloody run one you're talking I about? So. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about the Indian one. Uh huh. Byron posted the plaque. I've been looking at that plaque since oh. I was a little kid. It's oh. out there. It says something about the Seneca Indians and and some. This is like 1600s. Yeah. Senecas and when somebody were else were there, here. and somebody else attacked them. another Indian group. Attacked them. Oh, Native that American. Was it. Oh, yeah. And oh, the they did the creek that creek that's down there below Shimborazo ran yeah. red with blood, and they were calling it Bloody Run. That's, that's the story. It. I've okay. known that story since yeah. I was like. Old enough to read. It's I great. always think it's the, the English are doing it. Um, no, they just did it with alcohol. They gave it to Little Powhatan. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? You know, that is, they're finding out more and more about this. The Waha Seneca. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about the Waha Seneca. Well, that's the... I've I've read up on this um, on Wikipedia in various places. Because, yeah, I grew up in Churchill, and I know that Pow- that was Powhatan's summer camp yeah. right around there, Shimborazo. yeah. yeah. But his real name, his title was Waha Seneca, and oh. like when you re- read that word, it doesn't sound like look like it would sound I'd like that. There's about twenty syllables oh, in right. it or something. But that's but, how you pretty much say it. Yeah. We think. And I found this out from because there is a Rappahannock Indian, um, I think it's Rappahannock Indian girl that works with me at Restaurant Depot. Oh. Her name's Ashley, oh. and her grandmother is a, is one of the chiefs or tribal oh. elders from the Rappahannock. Yeah. Wow. And uh, cool. I think it's. That's they're right. Up there. They're up there. Right. But uh, I mean, I was just asking her if she was a Richmond native, and she said, "Yes, actually." How did you know? And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And she's uh, like, "Well, I'm a Native American, you know." Uh, and she, I mean, in all respects, she, I mean, she could be. She looks like she could be just about anything from uh, Lebanese to Greek. But but she told me that word is a song that they sing oh. in the little powwows, and that's stuff, coming for me. I want to know more and more about this. I always kind of thought that I had some in me, like a. A couple of Indians I met in movie Indians. Now mm-hmm. I mean they're Mohawks from New York State. They came down back when the ODC was going. I uh-huh. met them all in the o- in the ODC oh, yeah. with all these. You know they're very impressive people, especially those Mohawks up there. They uh, and but they would come to me and say, "Which tribe? What tribe?" <laughs> I was like, "Wow, really? I yeah. think I am Indian. I always thought, but you know I'd have that happen. And mm-hmm. It was really neat, and they were really kind to me, and uh, you know because I respect the heck out of them." talk about forbearance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we still haven't addressed that as americans we got to get back in there well, yeah, we're starting a- to work on what we did to the to the black people and the africans and the others but we got we got i agree with you 100 percent. and I, the thing is I, I i i don't like to use the word we 
because we, I didn't have anything to do with it. You know, true, I got dropped into this shit, and just because I look like the guys that did that shit, I automatically become we. And what mean we, white man? Like, see. I, didn't, uh, I wasn't around for this. I was born as a kid in Churchill in 1970, uh, amongst the people who lived in that neighborhood then. And g- biologically, I am this, but I am culturally. Not so right. much, you know, right. when it comes to how I grew up. Yes. Anyway, but, but 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 don't the sins of the father and all that. Don't right, right. I mean, isn't it still our responsibility if we're not? We need lead. to reconcile it. You know, like how do we reconcile the truth of the past of how we got to where we are now? We don't need to assign blame and we don't need no. to dole out guilt. No. But we do need to reconcile it. We need mm-hmm. to say this happened. We yes. have to know the whole story and we yes. have to be able to embrace it. I think as a part of our our story as a country and I don't mean embrace it enjoy it but it's like you know the Buddhist idea of joyful participation in the suffering of the world you know there is no denying that it happened so we need to somehow like fit it into the continuum instead of just pretending like it doesn't didn't happen it happened like crazy and there's a lot to do we took everything yeah we took everything and and squelched them into little corners of the world mm-hmm. and man it's not right and it's going to hurt us there is karma I it think. is hurting and us. it's going to hurt 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 until we get address it and get right mm-hmm. same with what we did you know and, and god bless mr lincoln that he helped pull us out of that mm-hmm. and i don't care if anyone can you know fight me on that but it's true well i mean and, i think two uh, words get mixed up a lot reconciliation and reparation right. and Reparation is something I wouldn't want to touch with a ten foot pole, but re- reconciling. I've, as an individual, I have to reconcile my past with who I want to be now. Mm-hmm. And as a mm-hmm. as a city, we have to do that. Mm-hmm. I think as a country, we have to do that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we no more. We ha- we can't just be about shame over that. No, but we I'm also can't be that. like fuck them. It's been four hundred years or no. hundred fifty. Let's make years it better. There's there's a, there may be some way to make it better. Mm-hmm. There really might, and uh, and at least just study them. And, and at least study the ones that we exterminated. Yeah. A lot of tribes are gone. You know, and this goes into my other, you know, a lot of wolves are gone because there were like 150 strains of wolves. And now there's down, we're down to three or four. Yeah. You know, it's the same idea. It's it's horrible. Well, we, I mean, the Spanish went crazy, you know, all across. You know, there was a whole indigenous group of people that were living in the Dominican Republic and mm-hmm. that island, Hispanola or whatever mm-hmm. the hell. Mm-hmm. That's both Haiti and the Dominican mm-hmm. Republic. Mm-hmm. Not a trace of those people exist anymore. The guy who led the last rebellion, Hatui, I think is I, right. You know, they're just there's not no genetic trace of them. I left, read that. Read know. about that in that great New York Times bestseller book, where the guy goes around. He goes to each place. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm so dumb. I, I always make these references, and then I can't tell you who did it. Well, we can always use a smartphone or a computer oh, one of those things. But then, yeah. yeah, yeah. My, my smartphone right is so fat, full of images and information that I've got to bleed the thing, man. Yeah, I need a, a cyber leech because <laughs> cyber leech because it's I can't. That's why I was having trouble getting to you. Mm-hmm. My Facebook. We're just talking on Facebook. It kept like it's like starting to take things out. And oh like, yeah, it's reordering and weird. Like I took a picture of Ed Trask at the thing yesterday, and it, it comes up gray. You know, too many Instagrams or whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even mm-hmm. tell me it's messed up. I need to fix it. That's why I couldn't get to you. I felt bad. Anyway, well, that's all right. That's, but we've got to. We're, we're, you're we're here, here now. now. Yeah. I, so. Um, like I'm really interested in, in continuously talking about this kind of stuff. But we However, I want to know more about you and uh, oh. like so I know my glancing and and I actually did a tiny bit of research while I was waiting and looked into the fugs and and uh, you know I know that you know that you have your own IMDb. 
page. I do. I do. You know? I don't have a picture because it costs money. I don't have the money to pay for the picture yet. Mm. You got to pay a yearly fee. That's bogus. It's just not in my budget yet. No, that's why they got to make the money. They got to make the money. <laughs> yeah. So, but yes, the, I do. You you felt the call of New York City at some point. When you, a lot of Richmonders a, end up going up there, but. How old were you when you left Richmond? Again? Oh, to, well, at first I went to a, a progressive school in New Hampshire called Franconia College. Mm-hmm. It's closed now. It lasted from like 61, I think I'm getting the numbers, 61 to 78 or something like that. We had the world's youngest college president. He's now the president of Bard. He was president of our school when he was 22 or 3. Mm-hmm. He earned his Ph.D. when he was 17. He's a bit of a brain. Mm-hmm. It was a great school. I went up there, studied theater, music, psychology, and uh, English and um, education, like a quintuple or sextuple major. That's the way mm-hmm. that you could just really go into shit up mm-hmm. there. So I did two years there, two years at American University. And then uh, then I went to New York. I went to, I was a busboy at the tobacco company, raised all my money up. Here? Yeah, lived at home when it first opened. I lived at home and raised my money up, and then I went to New York. And I went to New York to be an actor mm-hmm. originally because I'd studied. And, I, you know, this school in Franconia was like a conservatory. I can do Shakespeare. I can fence. You know, I have English training. Mm-hmm. like an English mm-hmm. actor, sort of. And so, but I got there and I did a few things. I got up to, say, off-Broadway. And, you know, I just didn't like it. And, I, and a great Richmonder who's now left us um, died way too early, Tom Cora. Mm-hmm. Worked with Fred Frith and the downtown people and John Zorn, especially. He got me an audition with John Zorn, and I joined the avant-garde from there, and I mm-hmm. never looked back. And I, I was John Zorn's first singer in his serial pieces that he did, High Law and Croquet and those mm-hmm. things. And um, and just started doing performance art, so using that for my performance skills for that and studying art always. always what time period art. are we talking about? This, I lived, moved there in like late 77. I lived mm-hmm. there till 84. Mm. And then returned to Richmond for family reasons. So that's some golden age Bowery Absolutely times golden, there. Uh-huh. Incredible time. The best time in New York. I loved it. I could go on and on. Uh, did, and you know, did you know some of those folks that were making their mark around then? The Patty Smiths and all that? I didn't. She was kind of off and gone and doing other things, really. I mean, I did end up um, through... well. Through these, all these avant-garde guys I met, um, we started some groups, and one of the guys knew Ginsburg mm-hmm. and knew Ed Sanders, and so we, in 1981, I think it was, mounted this thing. We had some power. We had this little band called the Fred McMurray's, and we made the cover of New York Rocker, and David Bowie came to see us, and it was really cool, and, and we were excited, and we had this power, so we well, let's use it. Mm-hmm. So he called up Ginsburg and Sanders, and so we... And that, we put on this show at the Mud Club called Beat Night and MTV came they weren't even in New York yet they were just an LA thing but they had people here and they were getting ready to open the New York shit they came and filmed the whole thing and broadcast the whole thing on MTV wow. like six hours <laughs> and it was wild we had all these beat characters show up and thousands of people out in the streets waiting to get in and so it was sort of in essence the Fugs and mm-hmm. I had a little paper child's drum set that I played so I played that and bass in my band Fred McMurray's, and we were the house band for all these guys. That's where I met Alan and Tooley and Ed mm-hmm. and Joe Arno and all the other guys, all these other beats. So that's how we became what we used to call rebeats, or mm-hmm. you know, or the new beats. So I'm a. They were the bridge between you know the beats, the Fugs, and those guys are the bridge between the beats and the hippies. All mm-hmm. the hippies are pejorative, really. But and we are the we are the ones that my group are the um, 
we bridged from the hippie, dippy types to punk mm-hmm. and glam. Because mm-hmm. that's where I kind of came in a little bit. So I forgot where I was leading. Well, you're doing just fine. You're just telling me. Oh, that, I was just telling about it, my time in New York yeah. and mm-hmm. do, doing music and performance art. John Zorn, especially, very important, mm-hmm. you know, and it opened up a lot of things. And um, then I started my own bands and employed John Zorn. I had him in rock band. I mean, you mm-hmm. know. It was just up his alley because he wouldn't do anything that was cool. And so we had some cool bands. We played CBs in the mud and all sorts of things. And all out of our little uh, cool two side-by-side um, Elizabeth Street storefronts with amazing musicians were coming through. Ronald Shannon Jackson and Donardo uh, Coleman from Ornette's son. Mm-hmm. You know, and all amazing people were in our little... We had a coal basement that we hollowed out. This great guy, Bill Ulittolo, uh, he was just an awesome guy from Wisconsin who could do anything, fix a toilet. He dug out our coal basement, and we turned into this awesome studio right oh, beneath wow. my bedroom. And so we were making really cool recordings down there. And, you know, it was just a great period. And I would make food. I worked at Dean and DeLuca, and I'd bring home fancy shit from all over the world mm-hmm. and make food for all the musicians and all these cool musicians and you know, just uh, talking, you know, names, names, but a lot of great people. Yeah. A great time. Just a fabulous time to be in New York. Yeah. And I always wanted to go because I grew up reading my mom's New Yorkers. And, you know, she's a smart lady, smartest lady I know, just bound. So I always wanted to go to New York. That's the way it happened. And uh, you came, you say you came back here in 84? Yeah. So you've been here ever since? I have. Really? And kept moving out and doing stuff because the folks were, were very active and we do many things, do a few tours a year, mostly to Europe, and we went on poetry festivals since we're poet musicians, and, you know, great, you know, really cool. Ken Kesey, we toured with him, you know, with no bus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Although they brought a bus. This was the wildest thing. There was some really interesting Dutch people, mostly, who painted themselves blue and would go to India and be blue people, and they Mm -hmm. had this blue bus. Mm -hmm. Well, they found out that the Fugs and the Kesey and everybody was coming, so they drove up from India, which is cool. You can drive from India to to Amsterdam, uh-huh. and they drove from India to Amsterdam <laughs> and and parked in the suburbs where we where we were having our festival, the World, One World Poetry Festival, somewhere in the late eighties, and they had a giant tank of nitrous oxide and blue balloons, <laughs> and so all the people were blue, and you, they, you thought they were like real Hindu right? you know, goddess the deities uh-huh. types, and wow. And uh, Tuli's going, we were getting ready to go on the bus. Tuli's going, Colby, and he knows a lot about drugs. He's a medical librarian. Colby, I don't know if you should do the nitrous because it really, it can cause, you know. But you're a young, <laughs> strapping guy. It'll probably be all right. But I'm not sure. Just be careful, you know. And, of course, there are gorgeous women on the bus with, you know, and so, you know, beautiful people. And so we all went on and did it and had fun, laughed with balloons and everything. Anyway, that's off. The, oh, and Keezy taught us how to uh, roll pure hash joints with mm. no tobacco it was no big deal but he said this you know this is how you do it so we smoked and had fun with him and he was a it's nice when big heroic type people live up yeah. to what you want them and they're not they don't disappoint supposedly sammy davis jr was never a disappointment yeah. a super groove cool you know cool guy ken kesey no disappointment very great guy absolutely for real cool 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 guy anyway there's yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of people who, for whom, whatever reason that they're they have a reputation or they're famous or whatever is about an image, and then there's people who, and, and that doesn't match who they actually are. They've just concocted this thing. Other yeah. people have colluded in it, yeah. and then but then there are people who are exactly what they appear to be. Yes. You know, because and, they've been honest throughout. Yeah, you know, I'm really into that. 
these days. I would would love to be authentic. I, I, I hope that I am. At least to the degree that you can be aware, anyway. Yeah. Because it's exhausting trying to keep those two things going, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you're in, like, doing film, you know, that's a whole other thing. I know Franco is constantly, you know, uh, licking and then ripping the envelope. You yeah. Know, uh, trying to figure out what how to do it, you know? Is it, and I thought, saw him say in an interview recently that so much of his art has been so about him. You know, and he had the, the the Franco character that was on General Hospital and all mm-hmm. that stuff, and all self-referential. He said, "You know, it really, I really loved hearing this from him." And I wouldn't, I mean, but it was neat. He said, "It really kind of gets boring after a time," mm-hmm. and that's why he's going into, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into Faulkner, I'm gonna mm-hmm. go into McCarthy, I'm mm-hmm. gonna go into Bukowski, I'm gonna go into Hart Crane," and that's mm-hmm. why. Because he, you know, and of course he might be directing or acting in these things, but but he's not himself. Yeah, he's actually being an actor he's instead being of playing an actor James and Franco. Deep, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So I really remi- I admired him for that. A, he yeah. early on played James Dean in a documentary. He did in, in, in TV, I think. Yeah, in TV thing. That's a fitting thing because yeah. it's more about yeah. And that that is a an interesting um, dichotomy too that like. Sometimes actors are so famous for being actors that you go see them in a movie and you see them. You don't. They, yeah, you, you can't. They can't. They're typecast as themselves. Yeah. They're only playing their own deal. And I don't want to fall into that. I'm a character actor, I guess. There are no small roles, only small actors. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, it's a tricky deal to figure out how to to do that. But I, well, I, I'm gonna tout one guy who's this movie that just went to um it's of Cormac McCarthy it's his third novel is in, in his Appalachian novels did you uh-huh. ever read Sutri by the way I didn't the only I, I've got uh I got Blood Meridian over there that's and the one that we've been trying everyone's trying to make it yeah one day it might happen I don't know it? if you can I've read I read the whole thing and I'm starting over again because it was a while ago yeah I've read it twice too, and I actually decided to read it because of um one of my heroes who turned out to be even cooler than I would have thought he was. That's uh, Josh Homme, uh, Queens of the Stone Age, that guy, you know oh, who he right. is. Yeah. I interviewed him years ago and he told me that was his favorite book and that was why I chose to read it then. That was before the, you know, they made No Country for Old Men and You're The Road right. and right. all yeah. that. But it's, I don't know how you could do, the dialogue in there is so great because it's, it's just delivered in this, for me, I hear it in this totally deadpan style and I don't know if anybody can, but like, you know, Clint Eastwood and, you know, can get that deadpan, you know, but Franco filmed a test and that's how he gained rights. Now, I don't know if he still retains these rights, but Mm -hmm. he, someone else had it and now he's gotten to know McCarthy now too, Mm -hmm. but someone else had the rights, but I think blood Meridian, blood Meridian. uh And I believe I got this right. Franco went to the guy who had the rights and was going to make it and maybe direct it. Cause I think it might be a director possibly who had it. He said, before you do that, let me make a test. This is so smart. Let me make a really good test and see what you think. Give me a shot. So he did. And so he made this test, and he used Scott Carpenter. You know that actor? He played. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know exactly who he is. Did he play Pollock? Or am I, I getting No, that's, um, that's Ed. Uh, oh, that's, yes. All right, Carpenter. Scott Carpenter was in The Right Stuff. And yes. He's gotten this increasingly yes. he played like. played Jaeger, right, I mm-hmm. think? No, he played, oh, he played um, Cooper. Cooper. Or Gordon. No, no. He played the one who. The one who made fun of the Gordon Cooper, the one who really was first up, the one who made fun of the Spanish guy on TV with the I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. 
I know who you're talking about. He's got yeah. like a strong face. Yeah, and ruddy, really, like really weathered, uh-huh, lined, weathered face. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. he's he was in a Bourne movie not that long ago. He was one of the oh, right, CIA right. guys. That's in that. Well, yeah, I yeah. believe he's the one they had as a test. Mm-hmm. And I don't know which character he played, but they went out to Utah and played and did a test, and it was good. Apparently, mm-hmm. they had another good actor that everyone liked, and that's smart. And so the guy said. Well, damn, that was good. I think you do have. I'll get you know. I'm gonna so get James Franco's think I, is last direct, I knew he's got the rights and wants to direct it. Mm-hmm. The big question is who plays the judge? Yeah, because that character, the Moby Dick, right, character, right, the Devil and Dick and one. I mean, whoever he is, I, I remember he was over like he's like six eight he's and gigantic, completely hairless, hairless right? And tiny feet, <laughs> yeah, tiny little feet. <laughs> I mean, someone could do it, but I mean, it's you know that's a big part. That's you, he's the. He, I think main. he better talk to Terry Gillum and see if he can give him some pointers on bringing that kind of weird hallucinatory magic realism kind of thing to yeah, it because it, it's got to be or you know like the way that I know how do you approach it? It's the nightmarish. Ears, the necklace and, ears, you uh-huh, know, the, yeah. the, all of these things, and it mm-hmm. goes on and on, and all those trekkings, and how do you? But I gotta say, I, I mean, I haven't really seen either As I Lay Dying or Child of God. I've only seen bits, tiny bits of each. But it's getting pretty good reviews, mm-hmm. and he seems to be able to find a way. And through uh, also, he's got Vince Jolivet helped co co write one of the Child of God, and another guy from Yale, Matt Rager, um, has helped him um, adapt As I Lay Dying. Mm-hmm. But I think he's getting there, and mm-hmm. it's so difficult. No one's been able to make a Faulkner film any good yet. So he's tackling the most difficult, has, what, the most what difficult has been, things. What have they done anyway? Has, has they did Sound of Fury, Sound in the Fury, which I love. Which they're doing. Actually, Franco is preparing that now. Oh, really? Yeah, he's down. They may, some of his people are in Mississippi now preparing. Hmm. I don't know if they've begun. I'm not sure. But um, how do they do? What was the question? Well, what other... I, I'm trying to think if there are any... There are movies based on... Faulkner's books Sound that have been, Fury, yes, they did have been made in the films. With Ewell Brenner, and they said it had nothing to do with, it, with the book. It, could. it, it, it was, right. became something else. Yeah. Some producer, somebody said, if you could just have her do that and put on a bodice, put on, you know, whatever, you know, they just messed it up. And it uh, the way the that books way. like that are in my head and all those Cormac McCarthy books, they, I don't see them and I don't think anybody should try to do them as straight, uh, you know, linear, uh, and in fact, those books aren't linear, but like to try to do them as a dramatic linear thing, they need to be like just fucking psychedelic, weird, freak out, he you might know, kind of <laughs> David Lynch does shit. Want, you know? Right. He does want to keep it to, uh, he wants to be loyal to it and adhere to it pretty closely, but he's finding ways, I think, of giving that stream of conscious feeling that's surreal, you know, or magical. You know, I think he, I don't know. I had, like I said, I haven't seen him. I had to do ADR for, my scene, which means you you have to match, you have to say the words again because apparently mm-hmm. there was a generator that wasn't far enough over the hill uh, that got through, and so I had to ADR my scene as Gillespie. I play Gillespie, who's the last farmer they hang out with before they get to bury her. Now, which book are we talking about? As now? I Lay Dying. Okay. That's who I play in that. Mm-hmm. And I had to go and redo my scenes. You know, It was tricky. I'd never done that before. Um, you have to look at yourself and... Oh, you, you know, you're start. sort of uh, dubbing? Yeah, your, you're dubbing. Uh-huh. Very tricky. I think I did it okay, I hope. But um, we'll see. Because I had to do... I didn't get to, like... I had to do it here in Richmond, and they were out in L.A. at a soundstage mm-hmm. watching me and listening to me oh, from wow. out there. So there's all that delay, and it's just odd. Did you, like, Skype it or something? 
They yes, well, Something not like Skype. That. They had a, they had a monitor set up mm-hmm. down in your ear. I'm plugging people here uh, in your, your studio. Go for uh, it. They had a they had a monitor, mm-hmm. so I'm seeing what they're seeing in real time, which is nice. I love the speed of light. But what is faster than this bug? What is faster uh, than the speed of light? Um, it's an easy question. I'm not I think it's the cosmological constant. The speed of nothing is faster. <laughs> I think isn't thought faster than light i don't think so because really? we're still talking about electrical uh impulses going along oh that's you know, still light that's making shit. that thought right it, but light is faster can't than you think faster to what's my favorite new star denob or aldebaran serious i i, I my can't understanding is it's sort of like really? so far they see it as it's it's as far as like linear speed goes and mm-hmm. stuff like directional uh, speed uh, light speed is the cosmological constant like the fastest you can go and then mass becomes infinitely dense right. at that point or something right. you know the right. weird yeah, the we exponential yes. things about you know you get going that fast and the mass becomes yeah. you hit this sort of uh you know tipping point and it's, so therefore it's impossible but something recently has happened on, yeah. on the quantum level that the is boson. We found the God boson, right? The the Higgs boson. The Higgs boson. Excuse me. Yes. The Higgs boson particle. But yeah, there's some even shit still. about like being able on the quantum level that information can travel instantaneously, and that may even be mm. faster than almost like teleporting, like mm. thing from one place to another without actually going through. Yeah. I don't know. Somebody posted something about that recently, but. Yeah, I don't know yet. What either. made you think I, about I just, light? I've always thought that I could think faster than light. Yeah, I could make all I got to do is th- you know just think of that star, and it's I've already thought of it. It's mm-hmm. a wave. I mean, light takes a little bit of time. It's pretty slow in certain well, ways. Well, I, I like the idea that there is no separation. You know, uh-huh. like the guys that you like, Alan Watts and right. Joseph Campbell, those guys. Yeah. I mean, Alan Watts wrote this book called The Book and I read it a couple, two or three summers ago and the end of it he's like and you see you're it right and like at the time I was like I don't see this just sounds like oh. some bullshit but yeah. that he you know because he's argued this point throughout it but the point is is that there is no separation between you and me and the universe or you, you know we are the universe you know yes. like and that's not in some hippy dippy terms no, but i see i you know I what i mean see with my the, eyes closed yeah the universe made is we are the same material there's right. one universe is right. this finite material we are expressions of it we're not lost alone in it we are it yes yeah that's uh i like that so i don't remember if it was him or somebody said the fact that we could take these brains, these 250,000-year-old modern human brains that were designed for throwing spears and making tools and running around a savanna and then throw a goddamn projectile at another planet with that, the fact that we can expand it from model to model to model mm-hmm. and that we can imagine, we can conceive of, we can write formulas that talk about what, like, things like the Higgs boson particle and how that was is proof that really we can know the universe because it is us. It is what yeah. makes yeah. it's an intu- intuition, even you know that you're reaching towards that because it's stuff these things that we're made out of already knows. That's right. You know, and we're just uncovering things that there's already deep knowledge in the, you know, in the very material that we're made out of. So right, it's kind of cool. It's very cool. So it doesn't it doesn't really matter if uh in linear terms about how fast thought is or light or Right. Thank you. you. Know? <laughs> Helped me. I always worry about that. 
I like to break. I worry. I, I do love Einstein. I read his his autobiography, and didn't he write that? Or mm-hmm. I think? Oh no, I read a biography. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, you know, it all came to a, just to a sort of a for him. It just came back to a, some kind of a poem, really. Mm-hmm. And he Can might I, say God. He used that word, but. Really, that's what it all came back to. I want to find this thing. It's interesting. Um, people like Einstein, I think, find the magic and mystery of the universe because the math demands it. Like, they're trying to figure out a formula, you know, and, and they're just trying to balance for, uh, mathematical equations. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, it gives and, – and their genius is in, you know, looking at equations this way as something like – that is language and a puzzle and all of that kind of stuff. And it, I mean, it is mm-hmm. that, but figuring out ways that it works. And then that informs what ends up being the language of this more spiritual sort of uh, metaphysical thing, Proving you know, once again, but they weren't looking for metaphysical. They were looking no, for mathematical the, the about as physical as you can get. Really. Right. But they end up coming up with the stuff that really, I mean, to me, there's no separation between also between, spirituality and science is just different ways of getting there you know and spirituality to me is not um believing lies about um you know various uh, entities and there's no dogma there's no it's just about like recognizing there's some will in you to live and that is the same will to live that all uh things have and there's some common thing running in that uh that is perhaps you know the uh you know what it's all about and i don't think i could ever put that in finite terms but to have an intuition about it is is spiritual to me you know completely and it can happen all the time almost all the time if you let it really and now you're trying to do the very difficult thing about speak on this level and at the same time Look at your phone and figure out something that you wanted to look up. It's I'm so using as this as a tool to enhance my. Uh, this is no judgment. I'm just saying how difficult it is. Well, it doesn't fucking matter if I can find the actual quote because somebody posted. Yeah. I, I like like Joseph Campbell's thing on there, and he's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. I he to listen to him talk about mythology is like listening to music to me, and I love it. And I thought everybody would feel that way, and I tried to make a girlfriend watch that stuff. She's like, can you turn this off? It's boring. Can't make anyone do anything. (laughs) But anyway, he's saying in the Upanishads, it says when you recognize, like, the sun, when you you go aha to that, you are going aha to that within you which is divine, you know? And when you say aha to a piece of art, like you're doing to that painting or you just were at the street festival, that is the same thing as a recognition of the divine. Apparently, this comes out of the Upanishads. I don't Mm. know if I mentioned that. Yeah, you said that, and that's, yeah, I'm sure it does. And so to recognize, and he says, you are recognizing that same, that art is an expression of this, this desire to, it is an expression of this desire and this will to live, you know? Mm -hmm. That at the end of the day, for some fucking reason, our bodies we're born out of this will of cells dividing, you know, of, of DNA mapping all of this stuff out. That's nothing to do with the ego thing that we go around with all the time. It existed before that. Mm-hmm. And the ego was born out of it as we were coming into consciousness, you know, growing up. And, yeah. and that has to be tamed, you know, bringing this full circle. But within us is this wisdom and this awareness of... uh of the fact that there's that will, there's a divine will. So I open this show saying namaste, motherfuckers. And it is only partly a joke because it is to recognize the divine and others that 
yeah. you even somebody bugs the fucking shit out of me yeah. on the street is an equally an expression of the divine yes. <laughs> spark of the will to live. Yes. You know, yes. It's a little Sunday uh, spiritual talk oh, first there with the sunshine. <laughs> that's one of the most I'm moved every time I hear it. I think they, there's a second they call that in music in that in the second uh, section of that song by Edwin Hawkins Singers, mm-hmm. Oh Happy Day. Mm-hmm. It is transcendent, and it just works every time for me. Mm-hmm. It is a fantastic tune, if you ever want to hear it. I know it. Oh, you know it. Oh, happy day. It's the big yeah. chorus. Edwin Hawkins Singers. Uh-huh. It was a hit. It's kind of like a, almost AM. a gospel thing. It's yeah. gospel. They're very gospel. It's mm-hmm. a, but it's just, it's a, it was a hit. It was a radio hit in the 60s. I got it through my clock, work, my, uh, clock radio. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my, my uh, music. Well, when I think about your trajectory through the fugs and, and uh, the avant-garde and all of that, I mean, you mentioned the shaman when you came in here. I picture a lot of people together, you know, looking for something when they're making music. It's not mathematical music, but language music. It's uh, feeling. Yeah. Uh-huh. Soul. Feel. It's what you feel. Trying to get to the source. Yeah. I'm not a very mathematical musician at all. I have theory in me, but I don't. I couldn't say that I know theory, but it's inside of me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I didn't take theory classes and stuff. <clears throat> I rejected all that stupidly, in a way, to reject you know some real pedagogy and really knowing your craft, you know, knowing it inside out. I, I don't really, you know, I didn't go through that. So I'm a, you know, like I'm, I'm a sophisticated primitive, I guess, mm-hmm. is what I am. Well, I think two, there are two different ways to come at it. I was just talking to a kid, 20-year-old guy I work with who's a guitar player. They, It is said that there are two ways. There's the math way and there's the language way. You know, right. I didn't... True. You and I started talking English before we know what grammar and spelling and syntax and punctuation and all that shit is. It's the same with music. You can start playing music before you know what a chord is. Absolutely. And, what a, and I read... You know. um, I read... I recognized... It was easy. Um, I grew up in church music, too, because my folks also did... Um, were the music directors at a church, you know, just to pick up some buck, you know, mm-hmm. and they're spiritual too, but they had a, they, they're very, um, omni, you know, they're very, they love it all. Mm-hmm. You know, they're mm-hmm. not any omnivorous. Thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or just, uh, you know, just, uh, they like it all, you know, they're interested in all religions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we went to Quaker house. We went to, we did everything, you know, just to, just to get a full, that's awesome. Array. See, that's what I'm saying. I'm the luckiest guy. Yeah. The amazing people from Illinois. He came here in '49 to be chairman of the music, or to be a professor at RPI, and that's how it all happened. And you mentioned this earlier. RPI is what VCU used to be yeah. called. The it Richmond started Professional down Institute, yeah. right by the Capitol in a little building. There's an old government building. I think it's still there, and it had some dumb sign that said something that wasn't like Cracker Company or something. Uh huh. But that was RPI, National Pollock Biscuit was Company. In there, something. <laughs> it had some dumb governmental thing. But mm-hmm. that's where they first met thirty-something people, mostly women. I think all women are man. I might have all this wrong, but I just read this recently about the history. Pollock was in there, Teresa, right. and so, much. so it was education, art, and music, and um, one other thing, business. Mm-hmm. It was a small college, and it was an offshoot of William and Mary. So it's really you know it's a William and Mary school really? originally, yeah. And um, it was just their Richmond campus or branch. Huh. And uh, up until they merged to into the state, it was a private institution with William and Mary. William and Mary got some anyway. Um, so that's where it started. Very interesting. So it was really about art, music, education, and some business. Mm-hmm. 
And I guess there was a nursing element too. Mm -hmm. But that was, I'm not that much. I was looking at the Egyptian building over there because I had to meet somebody there. And it's a cool building. And it says it's Hampton Sydney Medical College. That was originally over there. I guess so. So I guess William and Mary Hampton Sydney both like extending into. I don't know. I don't think they were connected at that point. Oh, I yeah, think right. the nursing with they, Virginia was yeah, separate. Yeah, it was another mm-hmm. separate thing, right. right. But that's actually where that was, the building where they were, you know, doing autopsies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, yeah, that was the theater up. medical. There's a painting uh-huh. of that somewhere. Uh-huh. I think, of and the there's guys. one. Yeah, mm-hmm. of like McGuire and those guys, those early doctors, the earliest doctors we had here. Mm-hmm. Or even, bef- yeah, uh, opening junk up, you know, and looking at things and well, I heard an awesome story about that building. I didn't hear it. Somebody wrote it as a letter to Punchline around Halloween one year. And they're like, while you're thinking about Richmond ghost stories and blah, 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 listen to this. Years ago when they were remodeling the Egyptian building, they were doing some digging and discovered this pit that had a mass of goo in it that was like gray and slimy. And they started pulling bodies out of it, and they thought it, you know, was a somebody had murdered somebody. But then they realized they were exhuming all of these. These were medical experiment, yeah. you know, cadavers, corpse, yeah. uh, Potter's Field type, you know, yeah, just, just dudes got thrown in, in the there. trench. This wasn't far from the gallows either at that point. This right, is, the gallows were right, right. So they probably just, you know, chucked guys in this. So they just brick they cemented it up they were like sure we're they not gonna be able to bury all the bodies that are in here yeah so it's that's under the well, and plus they, by then building. they were in such pieces it didn't, they didn't right. really resemble the body most right of them, probably it was like the, a guessing. weird stew and i couldn't eat chicken wings for a while after <laughs> that but i don't know <laughs> wow but that building is fantastic and i think they've renovated it somewhere mm-hmm. i'm not sure if it's being used or what but richmond yeah wow that's part of the reason i'm doing this and I didn't yeah, know that I wondered, when I started. I wondered what, what, how this. Mainly, it's because I like podcasts, I like listening oh, to them. Oh. So then, I I wanted to do my own, and cool. and I never, I didn't initially intend it to be the lore and characters of Richmond, but that's what gradually is emerging. And this, this is amazing story here. And my sense as a Richmonder is that we're not very proud to be Richmonders, and and I don't, pride is maybe the wrong word, but you know, yeah, but. Yes, we don't appreciate it or whatever. I'm very <laughs> thankful for younger people or people from out who come in and and don't. Ignorance is bliss, maybe, and that's not the right word. But I'm glad that they can. They don't have that stuff inside them, you know. And there's some cultural DNA that we have, mm-hmm. even though actually I am a Richmonder. I think. I th- well, I know I was born at MCV. Mm-hmm. I do know that, uh, but. And I think my dad was an Irish American from around this area. I believe mm-hmm. he's from here. I'm finding this all out very soon, but I but I feel it, man. This is a Scorpio town. If you want to go into that world, it is a dark town. And yeah. Franco said, uh, he said, I said you got to come up to Richmond. And uh, when we were down in Suffolk, that's when I first met him. I mm-hmm. won this role in this movie, Herbie Her- Herbert White, mm-hmm. with Michael. Um, I forgot the actor's name. Fantastic. He's in. He's tall. Michael. It's a normal last name. Anyway, he played. I play his dad. Mm-hmm. It was this little film, the short film that we made. But I told him, you got to come to Richmond. You know, you'll love it there. And he goes, I know, I know, I know. You got an art school. Yeah, yeah. And he said, and I said, it's really dark, man. 
And he goes, and I saw his tentacle. Boing. <laughs> Dark? What? Because he's, you know, he's drawn to these very difficult subjects. Mm-hmm. And not just for the horror of it. There's no horror. It's more about the human condition, yeah. what we are capable of, what we have done, and what we will um, do. A lot of it has been concentrated here. It's like one of those ancient burial grounds that have yeah. been def- whatever. But, you know, I could call that my own. Obviously, you're echoing it. I could mm-hmm. call it my own mm-hmm. romantic delusion about this place. But lately, since I've been back and having these conversations and talking to people off the mic, like Johnny Skaritza, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah. And I like there's this vibe is bad juju whatever you want to call it but i've decided to love it right i've decided to say that like we're because the problem with this town i think is trying to bury it and trying to say yes. it isn't there yes. and and go about our and you know and it's like the old elephant in the room thing yes. and if we say you know this is what we are we're being like i don't know more taoist about it to say yes. that like this shit is it, you know yes we can't f- resist this so no. it'll because it'll persist <laughs> it shall you, you know correct i mean we have poe you know mm-hmm. poe he spent more time here than ever and when i was yeah. on my wild night long walks i would see him oh yeah i would the see specter him. of poe uh-huh. i would see him and i you know maybe it's because i knew where to look because I'd studied, I read, and there's other new books that I do have to read, but I read Virginia's Dabney's Richmond. Uh-huh. There's a lot of good information yeah. in there, lots. And uh, I mean, he was an old racist, apparently, not so cool. No, no, not him. Excuse me, I'm thinking of Freeman. It was not cool. I started that book, the Richmond, A Story Richmond. of a City. Yes, it's good. It's and awesome that he's like, Shaco Bottom was then. When he came, like, and he was talking about it at one, I don't know when he wrote that book, but he was quoting a German tourist that came through in the 1700s. Uh-huh. And he was like, I just, uh, these people don't seem to want to do anything but drink and fight and fornicate. God, and like, yes. hey, well, then why are people complaining about Shaka Bottom? It, it just, just moved up been. to the fan. I mean, <laughs> it's always been like and that. And it's down in the know? bottom again. Yeah. That's right. Yes. They had yeah. Screamersville, Butcher Town, all mm-hmm. these cool places, the little, you know, little hamlets all around yeah. Richmond. The bottom, yes, is really can be difficult. I have difficulty down there sometimes. My dog got stolen there mm-hmm. once, you know. Um, I can lose myself down there. It's dangerous. I mean, there's, it's so much. Again, not to don't shirk this. We've got to look into it. Yeah. It's the same as the Indians. And I'm just not interested in anybody, you know, them deciding. Because I feel like originally when we start talking about this, I grew up, I call it the great Richmond game of get back. Like, and I was one of the... V- recipients and and victims of like working out the resentments of the past mm. on the current crop of Caucasians mm. that are living in the fucking city. <laughs> Maybe that's city. what I saw you doing. You know? Continue. Um, and I don't want to see this apportioned and divvied up and handed out who's at fault and who's the blame. It's fucking irrelevant. It's, but we, we do have to say this is our story. Yes. This is uh, if, and when we say our, we are, if we are branding ourselves both with, you know, the hot poker and as a brand, Richmonders, you know, yes. this is our yes. town. This is a fact of our, yes. our our past and our history, and it's not to be macabre or whatever right. to say, oh my God, fourteen thousand people died in a camp on Belle Isle from right. dysentery and right. whatever during the Civil right. War, and they just threw their bodies in the water. And right. I mean, it's all kinds of people just sort of met grisly ends in this town, yes. and is when a time when when life was cheap, and you know, it's one of the first places people decided to. Uh, somebody who's left town, and I've quoted this before, she said, I don't want any part of that place. It was started on drug dealing and human bondage. So, you know, the hell with it. But but 
<laughs> I don't feel that you way. Can't I, do that. Yeah. You, you can you can run. Yes. Yeah. They also say that I don't know if this is true. That curse that once you're here, you're, the Indians say you're going to come back. Yeah. Well, they, the return. story is I is one of Sandra who used to live in Oregon Hill. You remember her with bleach blonde yeah. hair? Yeah. 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 She, yeah. She, she said they said no maize will grow here, and oh. like the so your spirit will be stifled, and like the spirit will be stifled. That is There's, not true though. I think we've proven think that. So. Plenty of people have proven yeah. that. There's a lot of spirit here, and a lot of people do great work here. Incredibly good art, good music, mm-hmm. good things are done here. So you can go through that, but we do have to. We have to own it. We have to, you know, admit this is where this is here, and we've got to. Well, I don't know. Maybe you just have to be Taoist about it, not you know. Yeah, don't try to fix it necessarily, like you were saying, and feel guilt and shame about no, it. Not that. You know, it's no. like that's the part that that I think is why nobody likes to really that lack of, and maybe it's not pride again. Seems like the wrong word, but we all want to deny something and we intuitively know we're trying to deny something about an association with this town. And I guess it's that history. And we all try to talk about it in, in terms of outrage and like, you know, oh, we're not that kind of Southerner. Or I'm not that kind of Richmonder or whatever. Right. And there's, I understand that, but I, I feel like it's, it's a liberal um, dodge rather than like, Let's just get our hands dirty and talk about this and try not to take anything personally. Yes. You know? Yeah. I think that's, I think you're on the right track. <laughs> well, this is part of the conversation, I guess, yeah. having somebody like you on here. Well, yeah. What do you, uh, what do you love the most about this? T- yeah. If you could put that into words. Wow. Well, I, my trees, I look out the window and I see them flickering. It's beautiful. It is a beautiful city. I love the river. I love the trees. I love the air. I love the fact that it's, you know, my English part of me. I do know that I did find out that my birth mother is from England. The English part of me loves it. You know, I came, you know, the the English blood of me came up here. And I hope I was a good guy. I really do. If I wasn't, then I'll make up for it if I possibly can. But... I love the fact that there's still so much that we don't know about it, and we're finding out more. Like, for instance, you know, we found the Jamestown. They said that's been washed away. Oh yeah, it. you remember? Mm-hmm. You know, but he found it, man. That's amazing, mm-hmm. and learning so much. And still, we can look. And I also found out, you know, they always say the Powhatan Hill is Fulton Hill. They call it Powhatan Hill, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or that up in Chimborazo. That Pow- you know, this was their summer camp. But now the fact is that there's a marker down on I think it's Route Five there. The Indian, the real land that when they came up and said, I, you know, I'm not really answering your question, going back to history, but they call it none such place I've ever right. seen. It's mm-hmm. so beautiful. Mm-hmm. None such place was its first name, sort of. Mm-hmm. Well, that land is right right by that garage. It's out Route 5. I think it's Route 5. Or is it, Do- oh, Osborne Pike. Uh-huh. There's a, it's boarded up. Or, I mean, it's, there's a, it's, what's it called? Indian Hill, I think uh-huh. it's called. That is where their, one of their main camps and farms was because they were mm-hmm. farming like crazy. Yeah. And, you know, that's what um, Newport and those guys saw. And, um, and they were just like, this is amazing. I mean, this is this, what the civilization is beautiful. Mm-hmm. can't believe this land. It is just so rich. It's just there's sturgeon. The guys were, were surfing sturgeon for the girls, <laughs> on the, the maidens on the bank. They would <laughs> get on a sturgeon and ride it up and down the river. That's for real. Wow. Beautiful. Talk about Eden. Talk about the promised yeah. land. You know, this was it. 
And I want to see that come back. Now, that Indian Hill land is up for sale. And it's just a big hunk of beautiful land that stretches to the river and then on up to those hills. But, man, I, you know, and there are Indians in there now that are on four-by-fours patrolling it and stuff. And you know that if they did archaeological digs, you would find mm-hmm. amazing things in there. Yeah. But it's going to be sold, and we'll see. It, you know, if the rocket's landing, people will buy it. I don't know. But, you know, there are people. We are. There's the Route 5 preservation people, and that's going on. Uh-huh. Um, with some good friends of ours are doing that. And that's great. And that's going to happen. So, you know. But, all right. Your que- I just love the pure beauty of it and i want to i i always want to preserve it as best i can because it's a gorgeous place people from all over the world come here the yogis come out to buckingham i mean the whole virginia Mm -hmm. it is really amazing we're very fortunate here and so i love that yeah i'm a west end boy well first is lakeside my first six years which i loved my creek is now in underneath 64 oh yeah off dickens road right by staples mill pond Mm -hmm. not really lakeside staples mill pond boy i'm a dickens road boy Mm -hmm. just off that so you know you know just incredible that's what i really love first is you know it's a childhood thing yeah the first magics you know Mm -hmm. are from then and i can go on and on about it but and then i moved to the top of henrico county which is at ridge and parham road (laughs) henrico avenue up there there's water tanks at ridge road there's some water tanks right there i live there which was part of a farm at one point there were horses there was a general store when i first moved there and a man with one arm Oh, yeah. You know, right where that big church, that Grove Avenue Baptist Church, there was a general store there. Uh-huh. When I first moved there as a six-year-old in 1960, 1960. And, you know, and there was a horse farm. I was always around horses. Zion Town, all the, the, um, the freedmen who had been freed either before or after the war. They had their, all their communities in there. I rode back there in a horse one day, and I felt like I was in 1850. You know, yeah. all their shacks were, had been silvered, you know what I mean? When the, mm-hmm. when the, when the wood goes so it's silver. Mm-hmm. Silvered Shacks. I wrote a song about it. You know, I experienced these things. I'm yeah. so fortunate. I experienced the 1800s, you know, right in my own land, you know, mm-hmm. right in Henrico County. Very lucky guy. Yeah, I think that's what I love. Then I love the culture, the art. And, you know, I'll go on just a little bit more. I know you said you were going to think something, but. That's all right. It's- there was a New York thing going on here. Um, we our our art and our symphony, our Russian symphony, which I played in the youth symphony, and um, and I was a child actor here. I performed at the mosque, and you know did I was a, the go-to boy soprano pretty much. I did mm-hmm. all those parts for children, and the art here was fantastic. My God, just as it was a hundred years before when Houdon and all those French sculptors came mm-hmm. here to work, it was a it was a world-class city. Well, in the forties and fifties. And even in the 60s, there was some world-class art happening here. And mm-hmm. it happens again. Yeah. That's the beauty. It can, we can rejuvenate, and it can happen again. That's mm-hmm. street art. That's awesome. Yeah. It's going to keep happening, and that's why I love my old little town. Yeah. I love it, too. And I think we're about out of time, man. Oh. It's been great talking you too. to you. And Curtis, awesome. You were in Chicago? I was in um, St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, okay. That's right. Okay. Another pretty beautiful place. Actually. I haven't been up in there yet. Wisconsin is the closest I've been. That's beautiful too. I, I mean, I, yeah. I'm kind of I got kind of a thing for the Upper Midwest there. Mm. After it kind of made me appreciate Richmond more to be to like they. It's just nature up there. There's something 
it's so much stronger than the civilization up that mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. the sky and the mm-hmm. woods and all that stuff it's still got I, when you were talking about the in, you know native americans riding sturgeon and what that must have been like it doesn't feel like that the upper off. midwest has lost as much of that as the east coast has and um there's still something like there's still a more vibrant like powerful kind of land thing it, yeah. up there nature thing and, I just uh, got back for the first time from the Adirondacks, and boy, did I feel it there. The wilderness, you know, that's not over as far as you, but it's in that. Anyway, the Adirondacks are the biggest park in America, biggest national park in America. I didn't yeah. know this. Yeah. It's huge. It's bigger than some states. Mm-hmm. And I got in the middle of that in a very special spot. That's like what, upstate New York? Yeah, it's upstate uh-huh. New York. It's like up the Hudson, and it runs up into there, and it's just, oh, my great. Just that elemental thing you're talking about. I got a glimpse of what you're talking about mm-hmm. in there. Amazing. Yeah, and, and I mean the thing that Richmond has that's it's it's different. It's like it's like the way the Rockies are a young mountain chain and they're real tall and proud and like whatever. And that and the Blue Ridge Mountains are an old one. And old, there, old, there's old. been a lot. It's just this is somehow a a, a well worn spot, Absolutely. you know. But it's like. It's beautiful in that way, you know, and I, I don't know. I think of it as more in terms of like a, um, I don't know. It's kind of like that uh, T.S. Eliot Fisher King thing, you know, that like, well, it's an old, it, like an old archetype, which is what the Arthurian legend is. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. T.S. Eliot's kind of folds it into the wasteland, but like. Okay. The Fisher King archetype, which is like also the Arthurian legend, is that the 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 person and the land are both wounded, and they both have to be healed, and then, you know, um, mm. things can be straightened. It takes mm. someone pure of heart, mm. like Percival, to do that. But uh, whatever that mythology is, that it that is what this that my sense about that is my sense about Richmond is that there's some the curse is it's not a curse, mm. but you. We are connected to this place. If you were born here, you spent time here, you got a piece of it in you. And no matter where the fuck you go, you want to go to L.A. or you want to go to Chicago, you want to go to New York, you're taking you're that piece with you. Yeah. you know, and you, you're like on a cord. It's an umbilical cord. And you can either you can make that you can spin that into gold or whatever. But you're in, it's indelible. And I, I mean, I think that's more and, and I that's more of a positive very good. That's me, you know? that feels good. What you yeah. just said, and that really feels good. And that ancient thing that 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 we are in this ancient, rounded and world here. Absolutely, it makes me think of a short little thing that happened to me. And when I told the story, the girl goes, "That is really poetic." And, and I wasn't trying to be poetic, but I went to Europe once in the '99 when Ginsburg died, or right around there, or '97 was it? And we went to this little fiefdom up in Italy, this little place and, and up a big hill where the castle was. And we got up there and it started to rain. And I looked down at my shoe, my boot, my old black boot, and um, the the reddish mud from where Belvedere would have been, the, the mm-hmm. big home mm-hmm. of the black swan there. Mm-hmm. I had the, his clayish mud on my boot and I saw that run into the puddle in Italy and I thought, wow. Or something. I didn't. I didn't say it better the first time. <laughs> but that is, yeah, the bringing of the old and taking it somewhere. But yeah, it's still coming off your boot. That's all one. It yeah, and it's all one thing it's too, beautiful. man. Like we, we, the people went one way. They went as far west as they could go, and they ended up here. 
and yeah. you know, and that's and then then the people went as far, you know, well they went as far east as they could go, and then they went as far west as they could go, and they ran into each other again here, and yeah. it seems like, um, you know, the ancient sort of Stone Age civilization that came over here from across the Bering Sea, you know, they just kind of they were like, this is good, just this level of living, but. You know, the Europeans, they brought something else over here. And it's all kinds of Europeans. You know, it's not just the English, it's Spanish and, you know, Portuguese and the Italian and and then the Scandinavian people. We always talk about this like it's just white Anglo-Saxon Protestants came over here and did all this shit. That's because everybody could get in a boat. Anybody. Came over here, yes. You know anybody? Yeah, it's very Anglo-centric here because yeah. this is so it's Cavaliers English. and the Cavaliers. Yeah, yeah the Knights the of the Golden State. Horseshoe. Yeah, Sir Spotswood. Mm-hmm. These were fucking Queen Elizabeth's boys. Yeah, you know, that she Templar. gave this shit to them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a yeah, it's a direct descent descendant of that culture Absolutely. in England. But it's also but all, all of these the other things. things. Yeah, the Jewish cemetery downtown, mm-hmm. the tiny one that's still there. Though I think they took them all out, but it's still there. Oh, I love this place. Me I too, really man. Do. There's a lot of great things. And um, Curtis, this has been just totally yeah, man. degrooved. Let's do this. We haven't done this Super before. Grooved. Ah, ooh. <laughs> All right. Peace. 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 Peace, love, and hair grease. That was Kobe. Kobe Batty. A lovely fellow. It was a good time. This is a sunny Sunday afternoon in the in my room which was uh just primed for that kind of talk and uh bring it on anybody got any suggestions for fabulous furry freaks that uh i want to get get wild on the mic and uh, throw down on some stoner talk without the thc bring it on I'd like to remind you that uh, although I am working a day job again, I am paid a pittance, and uh, I would love for you to exchange and demonstrate that you value this podcast by sharing some of those imaginary credentials, credits, monies that we've made up for ourselves as a culture that we consider so important, but really all they are is an agreement to say, hey... I can exchange, I value what you do or what you have this much. So let me give you this much. So it's kind of like conversation, you know, a tantric conversation involving trade. What do you think of that? So, you know, you can can kick in $20, $15, $10, whatever. Any of it helps because, you know, now I'm really working my ass off. During the day, and when I sit down to do these podcasts, uh, soon the little bit of free time I got, so that time is even more valuable than it was when I was just doing this, at least to me. But maybe you think so too. So uh, hook it up, donate. Much love, much peace. Namaste, motherfucker.